This episode is brought to you by Rick's Eyewear. Eyewear that inspires confidence. If you would like to buy some premium eyewear, sunglasses, blue light frames, prescription, head online now, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. Caps has been Australia's home of headwear since 2012. From snapback to fitted, curved peak to flat peak, our hats will fit anyone and everyone. Since then, we've grown and evolved into the leaders of US sports apparel in Australia. Head online at caps.com.au and check it out. Righto, let's get into the show. NBA royalty, the Sydney King and the King of the Coast. Not sure which one you're the king of, but Andrew Bogut, welcome to Tommy Talks, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. We're in uh, we're in a new studio. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the Roland Media boys uh, to drive the car all the way to the coast, but I thought <laughs> too good of a guest to pass up. Um, mate, what have you been up to? Not a whole lot. I'm actually in the middle of a, of a fast right now, so I'm, if I collapse halfway through this podcast, <laughs> you'll know why. I haven't eaten since uh, Sunday night, so wow. I'm um, just going on a little bit of a, a bender, essentially. Is that a challenge? A uh, bit, bit of both. Um, I've kind of – I had COVID earlier in the year and, and – um, I've just been catching things from the kids since then, and my immune system's all messed up. So I've uh, done some studying and some research about trying to reset that damn thing, and um, fasting is a good way to do it. I've done a small fast before, up to 24 hours. This one's been very hard. So um, how, how long is this I'm one? I'm at 40 hours right now. Um, but I'm wow. gonna, as soon as I finish this, I'm going straight to Guzman, and I'm getting <laughs> getting a meal in. So. Mate, Guzman Gomez is oh, an I elite, yeah, I love it. elite feed. It I is. smash it on Uber Eats it as is. well. I'm actually an investor too, so. Have you? Yeah, I, I got in I got in around pretty late with them, and, and they're, they're, they're kicking goals, man. Like, it's clean, healthy, fast food, the way it should be, I reckon. Are you in the Athletic Ventures with Matty DeBoer? Yeah, I'm, I'm in with him, and then I, uh, he also flicks me some stuff that sometimes they don't do, or sometimes companies want, you know, separate investors outside of AV, and so he's been a, he's been a really good uh, networking partner. Yeah, he's a um, he's probably one of the smartest guys. Oh, he's I've a guru. Played with, but yeah, what he's doing now is incredible. He's and killing it. Yeah, yeah. I remember the boys, a few of them invested in it, and I was like, oh, what is it? But if you don't know what it is now, there's something wrong with you because yeah, it's no, a cracking feed. Oh, oh, it is, and, and you see the, the like the drive through ones just kill it. Like there's ones in the shops that are just to walk up, but the drive through ones, and you just it's always busy. Like it's and it's good to see because like you'd rather I'd rather people eating that than McDonald's and. Yeah, all that kind of stuff because well, it's much more healthier. Well, you'd be a great ambassador as well because they're going to go to the states, is what I heard. They, they they're going to dominate over there. Yeah, I think yeah, for most part, I think Tex-Mex might be a little harder competing, so maybe Texas and all that. But you never know. I mean, mm. these things do well, but it's just a clean. Uh, I'm not sure if you've eaten much Mexican food over in the US, but you can you can kind of <laughs> yourself in some trouble. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of traditional Mexican food is very very heavy, so you need a kind of a nap after. Whereas I think Goose. They do a pretty good job of yeah. not smashing you. You can still go and do yeah. things during your day. Mate, back to the fasting, because I've never done it. I know a few boys that um that have done it during their footy careers. So how you forty is it forty eight hours is what you're doing? I'm doing forty, yeah. Forty One, hours. Two, two full days, yeah. Or and one full day and a half. So just water? Just water, yeah. I had water and um I've had two green two green teas, so it's pretty much water. <sighs> You must be starving, man. Um, I am. The first time I did it was way worse. Um, it really, uh, the next day after like 16 hours, I just crashed. I had a headache and was like all, all that, like just felt weird. Um, this one's been much better. I've got to 40 pretty comfortably, a little bit of a headache, um, a little bit woozy, like because your body's fighting itself, like where's yeah. my food, where's my nutrients. But uh, for the most part, it's been good. Just sums up the character of you rocking up today <laughs> on the body. What a legend, mate! Talking about the government, I know you're uh, you're very vocal in that in that area. I've got no idea. I'll start with my own, uh, but you know, bonus pick. The election has just been, um, but the voting system, mate. I just can't believe that we're still doing it on paper. Mm. Can you tell me why we're not doing it digitally? I, I I just can't 
I rock up. I've got no idea what we're doing. We've got a booth. It's this big. The paper's, oh, the paper's no. that wide. I yeah, can't even that, see what I'm doing. Folks, can you do something oh, about mate, it, mate? Right. I mean, but then your problem is you go digital, it can be hacked. So, I mean, it, it On just, a MyGov app, though, you... I don't trust anything, dude. Like, um, I'm not saying things that have happened in the past, but I just don't put anything past anyone. And, uh, I mean, whether you write it on paper, someone can, you know, they gave, people doing it in pencil. <laughs> so you just have a rubber, you can change someone's vote. And then digitally, you know, it's, it can be it can be accessed by, you know, people from overseas. You know, we know, I think, the makers of the of those readers, the, the vote readers that use in the yeah. US. I think it's Dominion, made in China. Like, they still had access to it. So you just, you don't know. You don't know. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm, I ask a lot of questions by nature, but I don't think you'll ever know for sure what's going on in this world, man. Like, it's just been <laughs> crazy, especially the last two or three years. It's just been it's been hard to navigate all the insanity, and it seems like when you're at the tail end of one thing, another thing happens, and it's just been it's been a hell of a two years. It's been wild. It's been wild. And uh, I'll tell you what else has been wild is your NBA career. Um, I wanted to we've, – we've got about an hour, so I thought we'd start literally when you get drafted. I've listened to heaps of podcasts. It's um, Your story's incredible, Melbourne boy. Um, yeah, overlooked early days and just banged the door down and, and, you know, dominated. But, mate, like, what's it like to be, you know, the first overall pick in the NBA draft and become the first Australian ever in the history to go number one? Like, what's that like? It was un- unknown to me at the time. I, I, I never thought I'd play in the NBA, um, even – kind of as my career, junior career got better and better. A goal for me was like, shit, if someone pays me money to play basketball anywhere in the world, I'm there. Like, this would be a dream come true. So the NBL, Europe, that was kind of what I thought my ceiling was. And as I progressed from my juniors, I just kept accelerating and and growing more and more, both physically and mentally with my game, getting better and better. And I was like, shit, like, I'll go to college, maybe maybe it is achievable. And and then it all just came together within three years. And then I end up I end up going to the University of Utah, have a decent freshman year, Average 13 and 10 under a tough coach and then go to the Athens Olympics between my freshman and sophomore year, my first and second year for the Australians listening and um, play really well at the Athens Olympics as, at 19 years old against NBA t- you know, players. Played against the Dream Team, played well, held my own against Tim Duncan. So then I've gone back for another year of college and I'm like, holy shit, I'm, I'm back to playing against kids again. Yeah. Of guys my age, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm above that without sounding arrogant and I just dominated that whole year and, and it went from like pre my, pre my second year in college, it was like, oh, second – uh, early second round pick, late first round, and then as the college season wore on, it was like, oh, top twenty, oh, top fifteen, oh, top ten. Oh no, he's top five. He's lottery. Oh no, he's top three. And it was like, holy shit! Like it all just came together like that. So I didn't really expect it. Um, but then obviously going into the lottery and the draft with my agent, he's like, you're gonna go top two. And I was like, holy, holy shit! So we kind of knew, which made things easier for workouts. It only worked out for the top two picks. Who got um, the second pick? Atlanta. Atlanta. And okay. now and Milwaukee slipped up. They got up. Luckily, I don't think they, the odds weren't in their favour. Um, but they, they, yeah, they got up there, and you know, the rest is history. That's unbelievable. So maybe, like, if you're a young player, just go to the Olympics at 19 and get some <laughs> confidence. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, just felt like I was going back to college because back to 20 year olds again, and, mm. and just dominated that. But yeah, I think it's just, it's just, it's just one of those things that just came together really, really late. And you know, early in my junior career, 12, 13, 14, I was kind of, you know, bits and bits and things together and. You know, wasn't wasn't picked in all the good teams and kind of had to fight for everything I had. So once I had that opportunity, I made the most of it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Fuck, the Olympics would be just. We're going to talk about the Olympics and what it means to be a boomer later on. Um, but <coughs> who were some of the players that you were playing against at 19 years old? Were you and how was the mindset just looking at them? Oh, like I said, the dream team um, was tough. That that was they were pretty loaded. That was that was a team that didn't. 
run bronze that year. Um, with LeBron, I think LeBron was still very young. Carmelo, Amari Stoudemire, Tim Duncan, Stefan Marbury, Alan Iverson. The list goes on. Carlos Boozer, I think. Um, There's some big names. Yeah, yeah. So, and that was tough. But even just the Euro teams were tough. I remember we played, um, we opened up with Greece. And the Olympics was in Greece. <laughs> so that was probably the most – I'd played college basketball, and that, that can get intimidating because the students rock up two hours before. They're all drunk. They're chanting. They're, they're talking shit to you like um, two hours before the tip-off while you're warming up. So they're heckling you. It's like pretty full-on. Right? Yeah. I thought that was bad. And then you get to you get to Greece in Greece. <laughs> it's just like that's a whole other story. Like it's spat on as you're running out of yeah. the tunnel. Abusing you. Know, like I know a bit of – I know Greek swear words from Greek mates. I'm here in Malacca <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, shit – and it was just – it was an awesome atmosphere to play in, um, but very, very intimidating as a 19-year-old to run out in your first Olympic Games, first game, <laughs> and we they, they pummeled us by like 30, like killed us, but it was it was a welcome to international basketball for sure. Fucking hell, yeah. That, getting spat on is not it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not fun. Not fun. And, they, and they, you know, they, they throw coins on the court. They, they didn't that game, but European fans are notorious for like getting a cigarette lighter, lighting up a coin, making it really hot and just pinging it from the top row and trying to, get, trying to hit a player. So it hit, not only does it hit you, it singes you as well. That's unbelievable. Yeah, just, just wild shit over there. It's a whole different world. People would have no idea. Like, you know, I, I laugh when I watch um, Australian media at times about unruly fans at the footy or whatever. It's like one drunk idiot punched on with someone else. That's like 90% of the fans in Europe. It's like, yeah. And half of them aren't watching the game. They're chanting at the visiting fans. Like, yeah, they go wild at the other fans, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they're even watching the game. They're like chanting at them. <laughs> the game's going on down I here and you're like, mate, like this is crazy. I didn't think they were like that with bar. I knew soccer. That's oh, basketball's crazy too, yeah. And plus it's indoors, so they're lighting flares and shit inside. Yeah. Like, they have to stop the game for smoke. They throw shit on the court. Like it's it's a whole – one of my one of my good friends played um, in Partizan and he was like, man, he goes, it's a whole different, a whole different world. And when they play um, Red Star, which is the biggest rivals in Serbia – he said, it's, like, it's, it's insane. Like, it's insane. The guy's on the basket stanchion shaking the basket. Like, it just- Mate, that is wild. The game and like, come on, mate, get down. Like, yeah, just insane. Hold it's it, almost like it you want to go watch, but it'd be scary just being in the crowd. Oh, just a spectacle to go watch we, as long as you're away. I've gone to a few soccer games um, in uh, in Split, Hadel Split, um, and did more big rivals went to one of those games. And yeah, it's amazing. Like, great pyrotechnics too. They, they, they do like artwork with flares, so they'll write stuff. It'll be like thousands of- Flares and right, like dinner more or split or whatever. That's, it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole. You go there for more for the atmosphere than the soccer almost. Yeah, they have to pause the game because all the smoke goes on the field. They have to wait because the visibility. They have to wait ten minutes for the wind to carry the smoke. It's like just a whole different world. Man. <laughs> they take over the game, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Hundred percent. Fuck, that's a pisser. What are the pros and cons of probably going number one? You reckon on reflection? There's obviously heaps of pros from my. What know. pros is you? I was the best player in college before I got drafted. I believe. Um, the cons are you got a tug on your back. You know, everyone's trying to have a crack at you. So, and I, I don't think I was ready to play in the NBA um, when I got drafted uh, physically. Like, I was still 100 and, 103, 104 kilos. And this was the era of Shaq, Dwight, Gao, <laughs> you know, some, some some big boys, right? And you had to have beef to be a center then. So, I knew my body wasn't ready for that, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity to go top five. Like, God forbid I come back from my third year of college, do my knee, do my ankle, that opportunity's gone, right? Um, we've seen that happen numerous times. So, yeah, I think just the target on your back and guys having a crack. But I, I didn't have a great rookie year. I didn't have a horrible. I think I was nine and seven a night. So I wasn't horrible, um, but I was slowly growing into my body and, and, and continued to kind of get better and better as I was in the NBA. Yeah. Who were some of the names that we drafted in your year? Chris Paul, Jerome Williams, uh, Danny Granger, David Lee. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of great players. You know, CP, yeah, I didn't know Martin that. Williams went two. Um, so yeah, yeah, CP three is probably looking back. He'd be the number one pick um, if it went back. But I'd probably still be top ten ish in that draft. Hard to say because we'll get into your injuries later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an incredible achievement, especially for Australia. And then, um, I mean, your numbers got bigger and bigger, and and you, you did amazing things for the the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's go to 2010, which is your breakout year. Everyone's already asked you. I've listened to all the podcasts, but I've got a few left of field questions. But, mate, I had to watch the tape again a few times. It is one of the nastiest injuries I reckon I've seen on the basketball court. Like, do you, do you have flashbacks to that moment? Not really. Um, so I came back to Australia that off-season and did some media, and every media show I went on showed it. <laughs> so I've, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that I can't watch it again. It, was like, it is what it is, like – you know, came down, made a great play. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it was that was my career year, um, numbers-wise. I made the All-NBA 13 that year, so top 15 players in the NBA for that season. Really felt like I was getting some consistency. I think the previous couple of years I was showing glimpses of, like, I'd have a five-game stretch of, you know, 20 and twenty and 10, and then I'd have, like, five and five and two and two, and then have it was like a roller coaster. Whereas that season, I felt like it was all starting to come together. And I thought I had some really good tools. I was building to then go into another off season and get better again, but um, unfortunately, that whole next off season was spent just trying to get mobility back in my bloody right arm, which was my shooting hand too. So it kind of affected um, a lot of my offensive game a lot. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because you didn't just do damage to your elbow. You said you did damage to your fingers and everything, and then the, the mechanics of shooting, which is what your, yeah. your bread and butter is. Like, how long did it take to to get that back? Well, I, I was an idiot. I, I rushed back from it. So when I had the MRI, they found a. Full, full dislocation of the elbow, broken a broken uh, chunk of bone was sitting in my elbow, um, broke my wrist on both sides, and then broke my index finger. So that was five hours in the MRI. I think I broke my middle, and I just refused to do another scan because I was like, I can't, I'm not sitting in here for another hour. Um, so I, I, what did I do that? I did it in March, and I, I was back on the court in September. That's so quick. Just an idiot. Yeah, I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have rushed back that quickly. Is that because um, they're putting a bit of pressure on you? You put pressure on yourself, or? Well, I was. I was one of the main guys on the team. Um, one of the franchise guys, myself and Michael Red. At that point, uh, we just got Brandon Jennings. Um, and Brandon Jennings was there, so it was like, I want. I wanted to play. I, I don't want to miss time, right? But at the same time, I had. I literally couldn't straighten my arm. When I was back on the court, I couldn't get it to there. So, people with elbow injuries, when you rehab them. Physio is basically you're biting the towel and he's he's like crunching it to get the mobility back. The problem was we get we get it back that way, then I couldn't go back this way. And this was months, right? So it was just constant rehab, and my my shooting was just horrific. Like I'd I'd, I'd shoot five or six straight perfect shots, free throws, and then a six one. I'd have like a stabbing pain and I'd, I'd, I'd miss everything. Like wouldn't even wouldn't even make the distance, and it messed with my confidence a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was frustrating. But at the same time, it was like going to do like sit there and cry about it like i tried to smash my rehab um if i would have done it again i wouldn't have came back as quickly i would have tried to probably come back by january and really get all the swelling out and, and, the, and everything in it the other issue was i was complaining of pain all through that season and telling our trainer mate something's not right like i'm feeling a stabbing pain randomly every now and then oh yeah you know you'll be right it's gonna play through like kind of suck it up princess type shit and i'm like yeah i'm playing through it but like Something's not right, yeah. And I was I was getting nerve tests and everything because I was losing feeling in my arm sometimes during games. And um, end of the season, I go and see a, a surgeon, and he they they go under a scope. They take another chunk of bone out that was floating in there. So small small joint space in elbow or ankle, the two worst places to have floaters. Um, had a floater sitting in there, and my trainer's basically telling me I'm 
you know, I'm pussy. And I'm like, dude, like, so I got the, I got the surgeon to put the bone in a, in a, in a cup, <laughs> took it back to him and was like, you motherfucker. Like, <laughs> this, this is what I was complaining about, you know, and I played through it the whole time. Yeah, I know. I, I think I played like 70 something games that season after I did the elbow and that was probably just a bit hard headed. It probably caused me more damage than, than what it was worth. It shouldn't happen, should it? Like you're talking NBA um, trainers, they should be able to identify. Like we always used to say, treat the man, not the scan. Cause you know, yeah. sometimes the scan Listen. says there's nothing wrong with you. And you're like, mate, I'm fucking telling you, I can't, I can't do this. Like yep. I've done it for my whole life and something's not right. And mm-hmm. like, mate, we'll get another scan. And like you said. I've got a better one. I had, I had um, so two years before that, I had, I started getting back pain, right? This is after, so I went from NBA season to Olympics back to an NBA season, no off season, right? So I was playing basically 24 straight months, right? I'm complaining about back pain. I'm like, man, something's not right. So they give me about a week off in season to rehab it, get better. Okay, pain's gone. Get back on the court, play two more games. After two games, I'm like, mate, my back. All right, we'll shut you down for another 10 days. Same thing, came back for a game or two and then bang. And then I was like, nah, mate. Like, So I called my agent and I'm like, I don't, I don't trust like the diagnosis. Nothing showed up in the MRI, but I'm like, something's not right. This is like, I'm, I can tolerate pain. I've played through all kinds of shit. This is like 12 out of 10 pain when, when it comes, right? And I'm um, going to get a, I go up to New York. Um, my agent finds me a independent uh, doctor that's not aligned to the team. Stress fracture <laughs> in my oh. back. So I'm like, yeah, they, they do the, they do the CT with the dye injection. Bang, lights up like a light bulb. And he's like, yeah, you've, you've probably done more damage playing on it because like, you know, stress fracture, you start, it comes from stress. So when it, when it first probably started giving you, if you would have stopped then, you probably would have been out six weeks, now you're out for the season. Fuck. And I'm just like, so now I've got back pain for the rest of my, no, back issues for the rest of my life. And it was, you know, due to due to a misdiagnosis. Um, and they'll argue, oh, we didn't show up in the MRI. I was like, well, you, what's complaining about? Yeah. Oh, we didn't think it was that bad. We thought you were like kind of, and you're just like, mate, like I'm playing still. But like, I, I remember going up for a dunk the very last time, went up for a big dunk on a break, dunked it, came down. I was like, ooh. Like I'm in trouble. Like, and yeah. So now you know I've got back pain for the rest of my life thanks to thanks to that. Oh, and you, you must look like these are these trainers that you knew really well, or do they come and go in the NBA system? A they bit? come and go, um, but you know they'll they'll put on the author, the author will put on them. I mean, it just becomes a bit of a blame game. When I first came into the NBA, it was crazy. There was no physios. Um, teams didn't have physios. So in America, um, trainers aren't physios. So trainers are they do modalities, ultrasound. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. They'll stretch you, maybe do a quick soft tissue, but they're not they're not really capable of diagnosing. So I was dumbfounded. I was like, like you guys don't have physios full time? Like we had a subby physio that would just come in every now and then. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like When you started? When I first came to the NBA, yeah. Wow. And a lot of teams didn't. A lot of teams wouldn't hire full time. They were trying to cut costs. And I'm like, you guys have $100, $200 million of contracts and you, you're nickel and diming your trade, you're, you're staff that are looking after these guys like so now teams have definitely caught up they've realized holy shit like we should we gotta pay the best of the best but when i first came to the league it was like and, and trainers are still involved in the nba but now they all have physios they've got a car they've got a masseuse um and the trainers still do the modality stuff the, the, the everyday task stuff um but the physios in can diagnose it i was, I was dumbfounded i couldn't believe it i was like how do you not like, coming from australia as well we're very physio orientated um especially in afl nrl even nbl like physio, 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 and I went to the AIS and stuff. So that was kind of ingrained with me and I was kind of shocked that going to the pinnacle, how, how, how 
staff was just so skeleton. It was just really, really minimal. Yeah, I, don't, I can't, you've you kind of shocked me there because as an athlete myself, I used to love massage and physio is yeah. the best. I didn't really love stretching, but I felt like yeah. massage, physio, and Fresh then, result. yeah, and then get in the, get in the, um, in the pool and mobility that way. Yeah. So, to hear that NBA in 2005 on for yep. a bit there didn't have physios is just ridiculous, especially which I'll ask you now. Like the, the amount of games in an NBA season, let's leave playoffs like a side. The most important thing would be anything to do with your bodies to get yourself right. Recovery, you, recovery, 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 recovery yeah. and, and, and all that. So I'm, I'm quite surprised you didn't have physios. What were you all doing for recovery back in the day then? Uh, most guys, a lot of high paid guys had their own, Trainer slash physio slash did everything on the side. Yeah, um, a lot of like high end guys they could afford that, right? Um, A lot of guys had their own masseuse, so I would get a lot of treatment like off the court. I would would actually so they'd they'd let you get physio, but you have to drive out to the physio's office. So I would do it. I was happy to do it because I I needed the physio. But um, yeah, generally, like I said, the trainers would do the bare minimum, and that's what it was. You know, they could tape angles, they could strap you. That was basically it. Um, And it was just interesting looking at it, like, "What this is really weird," you know, like even. Australia, we NBL teams with minimal budgets have a physio that's at least there on game day, and we, we didn't. So it was just yeah, that changed very very quickly. And, and the NBA has now come full circle. Now they've probably overdone it. Now they've probably got too much stuff. Yeah, yeah. And now they're doing all the analytical stuff. They've got the cameras that track you on the court. They know your movement, how much you run, miles per hour, all that kind of stuff. Now they've gone full extreme. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting coming into the league. They are extreme with the numbers. So, oh, I don't really know what are basketball numbers like. How, how many Ks would you run in a game? Oh, it's not too crazy. I think it's it'd be, it'd be miles. It'd be a couple of miles. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's for a high end guy. So it's not. It's not too crazy. It's like a repeat. Boys, but it's it's the stop start that kills us on a hard surface compared to you boys. You know, um, you guys are a softer surface and kind of you guys get that long run to be able to burst out. We don't. We it's like burst out. Someone cracks you. Yeah. Burst out. Slide. Burst out. Spin. And it's hard service, so it takes its toll much differently than what you guys get. Yeah, because I always watch it like being an NBA fan. Even now with the with the with the finals, like I'll see a player's injured, like say it's a hamstring. I think Lowry just had a hamstring yeah. the whole series, and he's just back like two games later. Like yeah. in AFL, twenty one days generally here yeah. or there. Yeah. So is that because they don't really? Like, I don't understand it, man. Like, how can you – and even a calf injury, right? Like, I did heaps of calves at the end of my career. That's probably the injury where I thought basketball, like, well, you got to – his calf, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, 10 days. 10 days. Yeah. I'm, how, how are they doing that? Is it the modern no medicine idea. over there or what? No, nah, no idea. I mean, obviously, it probably wasn't too bad for those guys, the, ham, the hammy and the, the calf, because, as you know, if that was a grade two, three, like, you're not you're not coming back. Yeah. Um, probably shooting them up. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing there, but there's a huge risk, obviously, with those, those two muscles, specifically with athletes that <laughs> – you got to tweak. It's so easy to re-tear or do your Achilles or do something else. So I, I don't know how they did it, but they got back out there. I mean, Larry wasn't moving too well though the last couple of games. Um, he was flopping a bit, mate. <laughs> he was. He takes like eight charges of possession or tries to. Um, but yeah, he. But the Luca one, I thought he'd be out for longer, but he, especially with his body type, he's a heavy set guy. Um, but you know, they did a great job of getting him back on the floor. Great job, and Luca. While we're on him, like man, he, he is from the outside looking in, he is something else. I mean, the all talk all year, the start of the year was he's not fit. Um, he's got that body shape. Like, yeah. how, how can you tell? But man, what, yeah, does he love a beard? Does I he? Think yeah. So yeah. What he was doing at the end of there is just he just needs a bit more cattle. But what do you think of his series? Yeah, phenomenal. I think um, they've taken a huge step. They, they'll, they'll look to probably retweak their roster a little bit and get him a bit more help. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a he's a Mozart, um, a friend of mine who worked at the Mavericks there for analytics, funnily enough, he just calls him a Mozart to watch. Like, he's just 
he's got it all, you know, um, and, and he makes tough shots. He gets his teammates involved and, you know, he's going to be one of the best players of all time when it's all said and done. Mm. Yeah, he can do it all on his own, nearly. Um, so then we go the, the – and I've kind of gone in the years here, but then 2011, mate, the NBA lockout, like that's – What's that like? Like, give us an insight to what happened there as an NBA player. Where did all of the like? Did they have an association that just said, "Look, boys, we're yeah, we kind of knew." Like, look, the players' association they come and meet with you four or five times a year. I'm sure, like you boys, did the same kind yeah. of thing, and they were prepping us through two or three years before that. They said, "Look, the next CBA is up in three years, and then it was two years, and then it was one year." Start putting money aside. We're more than likely thinking it's going to go lockout, and so. Most smart guys did that. <laughs> Majority of the NBA players didn't. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, my agent called and said, "Don't don't come back to the US uh, early September like you usually do." So I'd come back early September, and then camp would start October. He goes, "It's gonna it's gonna lock out. Just a matter of how long." And it was just a waiting game. So just stayed in Australia, waiting. Worked out here. Tried to play in it with an NBL team. Um, couldn't get it done for, for insurance purposes because I had um, I had I had a contract with Morky Bucks at the time, which was five years, sixty mil. I wanted to come back and play here, but I wanted insurance on that contract in case I got hurt. We went to an insurance company and they said, "Well, you're technically not employed because you're in a lockout. What are we insuring?" Yeah. So I fell over. They wanted a million dollars for the policy, so the team couldn't pay that. So I, didn't, I ended up playing in Australia at that, at that time. But then, yeah, and then literally got. Got closer towards, I think we went back on December 6th, I believe it was. So I missed two full months and it was just due to guys that had no money. They just they just, dropped, they just hung players out of dry knowing that like these guys, these boys, most of them live check the check. Most of them have no income coming in right now. Just waited out. And then, you know, the Players Association bulked um, or the players did it on a vote that, all right, we'll take the, I think it was, a lot of it was to do with revenue sharing going 50-50 and they accepted the, Players, the Players Association accepted the offer and literally got a call and was like, you need to be here in three days and that was it. You so know? bang, pack up, back in, back in yeah, the routine. I kind of knew it was, it was kind of always, a suitcase was always kind of packed because from November onwards, he's like, just keep, just be ready to go within two or three days. Don't go on holidays, don't go anywhere, just stay there and work out and that's kind of what I did. Yeah, wow. So yeah, because I read that that you went to, you went to the Kings in the end. There was a, like I read an article that you were tossing up between Gold Coast actually before that. And then you went to the Kings, but then they, they couldn't let you play. You've always had a, an eye on NBL, and we'll talk about NBL later on, but you've done a lot for the sport. Um, is that just being an Aussie and a proud, you know, Victorian, I guess, growing up? And then obviously why the Kings is the next question. Um, yeah, I always wanted to come back kind of towards the end of my career and at least play a season or two here. Um, I think it just brought back great memories of, of going to different associations and cities and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I loved the NBL when I was a kid. Like, I really followed it, supported it. And yes, yeah, so long story, but I ended up going to the Lakers after I'd, so I'd gone from Golden State, got traded to Dallas. They waived me mid-season so I could go slam with Cleveland, broke my leg in the first game. So then I have a, a, a broken leg, like random thing, like broke my shin, random, had that whole off-season of rehab. Um, the following season, the Lakers signed me on a non-guaranteed deal, but they told me, look, we're not, we just... The owner likes it non-guaranteed, but if you're healthy, we'll keep you on for the whole year. Uh, we sucked. The Lakers sucked that year. And so by January, we were not making the playoffs and they started to cull the roster and save some money. So I was I was out. So I was kind of pissed about that because I just had a newborn. And I wouldn't have signed there if they stuck to their word. Um, and then my grandfather – so I, I decided to stay in LA after they waived me. My wife and 
and, and children ended up going back to Australia. I stayed there to just work out and tread water. And then my agent's like, look, after trade deadline in February, you'll end up, you know, there'll be some veteran teams that need or some, some potential championship teams that want to sign in just as a veteran. So I just waited out till then. So I was just working out every day. And then my grandfather had passed away in uh, February. So I was like, shit. So I flew back to Australia, um, went to the funeral, did all that stuff. And I was just like, am I really going to lug the whole family back for two or three more months in, in the US? Um, that's, there were some teams interested that, were, that I was talking to, um, I think Boston, Toronto, a few other teams. We're going to do that for two or three months and take them all the way back over there again. We're kind of living out of a suitcase in LA as it was. Um, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay in a, I'm just going to stay here and miss the rest of this NBA season and that's when I thought you know what like I've had a bunch of injuries these last two or three years I've been kind of I was Golden State to Dallas to Cleveland for a week and then to LA I've been in four different um, places to live so I thought I want to stay in Australia for a couple of years or a year at least and then my goal was to get to 2020 Olympics healthy and I thought playing the NBL one or two games a week much more convenient for my body and the NBA to get me to 2020 and then I'd, I'd hang up up the shoes right and um so that's why i looked at nbl i had a conference i basically had a deal done with melbourne united which has been well reported and um you know i met with the gm at the time and we agreed to something handshake and um after going back and forth two or three times about it we finally agreed and got the contract and it, it wasn't what we agreed to and i don't do business that way after i just shook his hand looked him in the eyes so i basically called a contact of mine got a hold of sydney kings and said look if you match this deal that I had done. Um, I don't want more, I don't want less. I want this exactly as it is. I'm, I'm with Sydney, I'm, I'll be with you guys. Um, and they were like, it was just random. I've never spoken to them yeah. about it before. I just called them and said, match this. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's send the GM out that day on, on a flight or the next morning on the flight. Signed the sign the deal and the rest was history. So that's kind of how all that, all that worked out. So Melbourne's cooked it. <laughs> oh, they'll say they didn't because they, they got a championship out of it. But yeah, I mean, they... Yeah, I just I don't do business that way, and people will say, oh, "Are you lying?" This that I was like, "Why would I lie about this? Why, I would, I, why would I want it?" At that time, we we're, were um, building a home in Melbourne, right? We're about to. Why would I leave somewhere I'm building a nice home to go to Sydney just because? Like, there's a reason for it. Yeah, and that was the reason. Yeah, the old school business. It's much better, isn't it? Look each other in the eye, shake mm. the hands, and have full integrity, and give us what we spoke about. It's 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 an easier way of doing it than. And I read the contract. Like probably one of the few athletes that read it. So it's just like I, I did it do it myself. I didn't do it through an agent. And I think he, they tried to pull a fast one in the in the wording. And I've, I picked it up, and I'm like, "What's this?" And like, "Oh yeah, I'm just like, nah." So I gave him the cold shoulder. I didn't tell him that I wasn't signing with him. Gave him the cold shoulder for three or four days. While I was negotiating the Sydney deal. Yeah, get the get the leverage, and then, and then um, we just let him know. Once I signed with Sydney, didn't even give him a chance to, keep, to recount it or take it out because I was just like, I just don't do business that way. I think um, the writing's on the wall. If you do that stuff, like something else is going to happen down the line, untrustworthy, and I just don't want to do business with those kind of people. Yeah, was that massive speculation at the time? Like I wasn't, I don't think I was in town, but did that all come out at the time? It did. Yeah, it did. I mean, I mean, I mean there's people that say, you know. Oh, I don't believe it, this, that. It's like, like I said, like I have no reason to lie about it. Um, and it came out later on. I didn't, I didn't kind of, yeah, all the dirty laundry. Um, but people were asking questions. So like, why wouldn't he sign Melbourne? He's a Melbourne boy. I'm, I, was, I'm, I was set up to the to the teeth in Melbourne, like my own facility, you know, my whole network there. And um, But it could not have happened a better way in hindsight because um, the people that I've met now in Sydney, 
the Sydney Kings, the ownership group, just the people. Um, it's been sensational, and I, I would have probably would have regretted saying, uh, signing with Melbourne in the first place, and just just different people that think differently to, to me, and are just a bit different. Um, whereas Sydney, we have a bunch of different people in our ownership group, but they're smart enough to realise like we're all different and we get along all the time. But that's what makes us great, and it's been. Fantastic to this point. Just won a championship too. So yeah, I know it's it, it, you. You did, and I saw you present the uh, vest on uh, vest on or court. You should call it. But here's a little fun fact. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but like my old man, his cousin Bradley Sheridan, he's actually won three titles at the Sydney well, Brad Kings. Sheridan. Do you know Bradley? Rowdy. Yeah, Bradley's nickname is Rowdy. Yeah. Why is, the, why is his nickname Rowdy? He's so quiet, I think. I was going to say he's I not Rowdy at all. I think it's the opposite. <laughs> but I heard when he has a few drinks, he's uh. He's does opposite. the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. always those types, isn't it? The but I'm like, yeah, I trained with uh, him in the national team a few times early on. Yeah, so yeah. He was with Gorgian up in Sydney, and yeah, because we, well, me growing up, we used to watch him, and um, yeah, when he cleaned up, he won, he won three Chiefs. titles in a row. Yeah, with the Kings. Yeah, yeah, with the Kings. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he was. Uh, didn't get much out of him. No, I was going to say, no didn't, yeah. doesn't say I used much, to see him at the Christmas parties when I was a real little tacker, and yeah. I obviously went to Perth. But a really nice guy. Yeah, good player too. Just a real good. Intangibles guy did a lot of small things for him. Um, Used to smoke threes in the corner all yeah, night. Like and, and good defender, long. Yeah, but you just you'd never know, and you never know if he was having a bad game or a good game because his face would just be like, <laughs> 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 like yeah. "Guys, are you just like, are you mad or are you happy or you never know." You can't read him. No, at all. That's great. Yeah, well, um, the Sheridan boys will love that. That's uh, yeah. I was wondering if you knew him, and then while we're on the Kings. Um, because obviously I'm a good mate, good mates with Craigie Moller. I followed the Kings when you guys were, were there. But for those of the people that aren't uh, that aren't familiar, I'm just going to read this out and then we'll talk about it. So 2020, um, Kings withdraw from Game Four in the NBL Finals. The NBL has been forced to cancel the remainder of the 2019-20 um, season after the Sydney Kings chose to withdraw from their Grand Final series with the Perth Wildcats due to the COVID um, coronavirus outbreak. Game Four between the Kings and Wildcats was scheduled to take place. On Friday at Perth's RSA uh, Arena, but the Kings management indicated that it did not wish to proceed with the remainder of the series because of the global pandemic. The Kings had a meeting featuring players, coaches, management, and an independent medical specialist to discuss whether the team would continue in the series and came away with the unanimous decision to not participate in the remainder of the series due to a critical mass of relevant and actual concerns rel- uh, related to player welfare and club social responsibility. At the time, the Kings were coming off a season where they had uh, a top the league standings for every round and we're eyeing off their first NBL championship since 2005 back when Bradley was there so after saying that how frustrated was the group it was just a tough situation because we were right in the middle of our series and it really ramped up um, it was getting really around the world and in Australia um, we were about two weeks behind the rest of the world and it really came here and um, yeah it was just I was all in for this is what's crazy about it. So we lose we lose at home game three and we're supposed to fly back to Perth. Perth potentially had a close contact on the flight over for game three. So then we're all, everyone's worried. Um, one worry was the virus, but the other worry was the US. So our imports were like, are we going to be able to get back into the US? Because Trump had shut, was messing with the borders at that point. Um, he was locking out certain countries and making it very hard to get back into the USA. So there were some guys in US imports that we had were like, I'm going to be stuck here for like forever, like kind of thing. You know what I mean? I'm going to get home, right? Um, I think one was having a baby back in the US. So I was like, no, nah, we'll be right. We'll be right. Like I was all in for going, flying to Perth, just 
finish this thing off. It's two more games, potentially maybe one if they beat us. Um, we'll get on with it. And then we had the next day off and then we're supposed to fly the following day. So that that day off, they called a meeting um, bef- before our flight was supposed to fly in the Arvo. We had a meeting at 9am at the facility and it swayed me. Like there were guys in tears. Um, I don't think the unknown was one thing, like not knowing what this – at that time we didn't know – what the long-term damage was of the virus, if you did get it, like can you give it to kids, can it affect your kids? A lot of our guys on our team had had toddlers and babies. Um, but the imports, like a few of them teared up. Um, we had a guy from Brazil as well. And they're like, well, you know, I don't think I'll be able to get back home if I don't leave soon. I need to get out of here. I'm scared I'm not going to be able to get back. So, um, yeah, I kind of swayed to, as, as being one of the team leaders and captains and whatever, I swayed more towards the middle of like, if the consensus is that we don't want to go, I'll support that. And that was consensus. Like, there were guys that were like, nah, this is my only opportunity for an NBL championship. Um, but as the as the chat within the group and the doctors and all that wore on, it swayed more towards, I'd probably say 70, 80 to 20 um, that were like, nah, we shouldn't go. And we made that tough decision. It was it, We didn't get a whole lot of support from the league, which was frustrating. They were just kind of like get on the plane, shut up and play. Um, and we were kind of like, you know, this is kind of strange. And then for game two, they, you know, our uh, Paul Smith, our owner, was and our GM Chris Pongrass were on, were on, were on the phone to the league the whole time on game day. Like, you cannot let fans in this game. Like, ten, fifteen thousand fans should not be coming to the game because, you know, if one person has it, you know, essentially that was what we thought back then. And then we got we got you know, pasted with. You know, it's gamesmanship, you're trying to do this, oh, you don't want to play because you're down to, and you're just like, it wasn't the case at that point. And, I, you know, I'm cool with it. They, they're the champions that year. We get on with life. But what's funny about it is we all got railed for like, oh, yeah, it's not that virus isn't that bad. Just get on a plane. And then you fast forward six months and Perth were in lockdown for 18 months. <laughs> you couldn't yeah, get yeah. It out of that place. And it, Yeah, it's it, more serious than you think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know. Which one is it? Are you still saying that we're, you know, it wasn't that bad at that point? But, I mean, knowing what we know now, I'd get on a plane. Yeah. Knowing what we know today. Yeah. But in March, April of 2020, no one had any idea, right? Like, it was like, it was new to us. All this all this stuff was new to us. So. It's just a bizarre, like, situation. And especially, um, no matter what sport it is, that's the that's as good as it gets, a championship. And uh, to be in the middle of a, a series... Two one down, yep. you swear, but there's obviously best of five, and you swear the top of the you know the table. You go there, and if you probably win that, you come home, and you'd say you'd have home court advantage. Yep. But who knows? But yeah, I, I mean, as a as a um, fan on the outside, like, how do they decide? Did they did they just say two to one? That's it. They win. Yeah, they had. Was there any arguments over like, no, hang on, should we pause it and do it later on? Or there was all that on the table, but it, it couldn't be paused because you just didn't know how long this was going to go right. on. Um, but our owner was pretty adamant on no it should be a tie like this is not over yet and the NBL was more pissed that we made that decision as a club ourselves and didn't like we didn't console too much with the NBL because we put our players and coaches first and said no we're not we're not doing this you can't make us get on a plane so I think they were more pissed at that as well and then it was like all right cool you want to do that no worries whereas I I believe the owner at the time was on record saying that you know if if it doesn't finish no one no one gets it. This was pre the series. If COVID does affect it, um, but like I said, I'm not. I don't hold ill will to, to Perth. 
they deserve it 2-1. Mm. But in the moment, yeah, it was a little bit frustrating. My, my whole frustration with it was just getting a bit more support from the league at the time would have been nice um, at least to at least show that you've got some sort of, you know, you've had discussions around the pros and cons of travelling and all that. It was just more like, no, get on a plane. <laughs> okay, like, so then we had to have that discussion ourselves with our own people. And other than that, the rest is history. Yeah, it is. But the good thing is, and congratulations to the Kings, they've got the job done just recently, which would have been, I mean, now that I reflect, it's, it's quite incredible. There would have been a few boys that missed out, but a few boys that would have been there that, it's quite special, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and just the season that we had um, this past season, like we had a roller coaster of a season. Um, we started out very inconsistent, had a bunch of injuries. We couldn't get our full squad on the court for like seven or eight games. It seemed like someone would go down every other week. And it was, we had a rookie head coach from the US. It, it wasn't looking good. Um, <laughs> you know, we do a weekly board call and our calls went from an hour to two or three hours some weeks because we were just like panic stations at times, you know. But, um, that's what you want in a championship year. You want that. I'd rather that experience than just like smooth sailing the whole way. Yeah. Just like it's, it's, it's still good, but it's it's so much better when you're like in the mud and you just work your way out of it. And then we go on, we have, a, you know, we're three and five at one point and then go on to, we get to six and six and then have a double game weekend, win the first one. And then the second one, we play Brisbane, play like shit, shouldn't have won the game. And just grinded out a win on the buzzer, uh, which was just a crazy, crazy finish to the game. So we go to eight and six, and then we win, we win thirteen straight games, and we don't lose another road game for the rest of the season, including the finals. So um, awesome experience, great squad we put together, and hopefully we can bring most of the guys back. Great management as well, mate. <laughs> the, the board, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think everyone involved. I think um, taking a risk on a on a coach that hasn't coached in the NBL is always hard. You know, there's a there's a bit of a pushback within the NBL community about. US coaches aren't successful here um, and they're generally not like the majority struggle to, to adapt to the game here because it's a little bit different. Um, Why is that? Just it's just a different, it's different. It's a bit more physical. There's a bit more flopping going on. It's just different nuances within the game. The FIBA games refereed differently. It's played differently. It's 40 minutes, not 48. Um, but, you know, our coach did a fantastic job with it. So we, we took that risk. Um, obviously, he's Chase Buford. He's R.C. Buford's son who's the, the GM of the Spurs. So we, he was highly acclaimed. We got a lot of a lot of good feedback and um, real passionate white line fever. Did a lot of crazy shit this season. Um, a lot of technical fouls and that, but we love it. Like you make mistakes, you move on. But yeah, that whole journey of of what we did, we didn't do it perfectly, but we got the ring at the end. Um, and the way we finished it was was sensational. Yeah, it is. No, it's great. It's a good series, and obviously watching Tazzy there just climbing up. It yeah. was good for the sport. Um, awesome. I mean, they were my second favorite team. Like if, if it wasn't us playing them, I would have been going for Tazzy because it's just a great story. Yeah, no, it was. It's a great story. It's great for the NBL. And the NBL's flying. Like what you've done and everyone else, that, back in, that's what I was saying, back when we started this combo here with 2011, it's like you've seen the light and the names that have come through the NBL and then gone on, it's now um, one of the strongest comps outside of the NBA. It's it's fantastic for Australian sport. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think just, just becoming consistently good was important for the NBL, I think, um, the last 20 years have seen a roller coaster of a ride for the NBL. Teams going bankrupt, the league, oh, what's going on, this, that, can't get sponsors to, to where we're at now. I think um, Larry Kessman's done a fantastic job of, of, of investing his own money in that initially. And now I think the level of professionalism is lifting where, you know, there's no more BS with clubs. Like, you know, you need to you, you need to try to kick goals and, 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 and have high targets for, for fans, for sponsors, for this, for that. Um, whereas I think there were a few teams back in the day where people owned those teams um, that owned it more as like, oh, I own this team. 
you know, or, or they own the team, didn't live in the city, you know, that was just more of a kind of – Bit of a wanky. Yeah, talking point. Oh, look, I own this NBL team and um, there was a few of them that owned Ponzi scheme businesses, which didn't yeah. help. There was two. So the Kings went under for a year completely and they went out of the league because there was a company called Firepower that was a, a Ponzi that was – Oh, wow. No one knew what they did and um, they went bankrupt and so you had a few of those stories, which is just bad luck. You just got bad businessmen involved. But I think now the, the NBL's got you know, a decent – screening process of, of new ownership coming in, making sure we know who you are, you've got <laughs> money, and we've got a lot of NBA players investing in, in ownership groups. So I think when when people in Australia um, see NBA names involved, and like we just got, uh, so Robin Denholm um, just joined our ownership group. She's the global chair of Tesla. Wow. So not, not the Australian chair, the global, one of the one of the brightest business minds, which is Australian, um, her and her family, the Denholm family have joined us mid, mid this past season, so they joined at the right time. But, you know, to have those kind of heavy hitters now going into NBA, NBL board meetings to represent the Kings is huge. Um, and that wouldn't have happened 10, 15 years ago. You would have laughed yeah. out of the room, but we've got, we've got some heavy hitters now within our league. Yeah, it's massive. It's great because we all love basketball and there's nothing better than a packed arena, you know, like yep. traveling America, like the game's one thing, the entertainment and the, it's the, the full package. So, mate, let's go back though. Let's go back because uh, I want to talk about – so 2012, you get traded um, – to the Golden State Warriors with Stephen Jackson, which, funny enough, all the smoke podcasts. You'll be, I'm a big fan of their work with Barnsley. Um, but what I mean, on two things before we talk about uh, the Warriors. But what, what's it like being traded? Like, is it? I mean, is it suck? And and you know, what, what does the agent just give you a call and say, mate? Like, so I was I was looking for out at that point. Oh, uh, you wanted out? Yeah. So it's a lockout year. 11-12 came back, and um, we just we had a really good year that year. I broke my elbow. And then the club decided not to bring back half the players and tried to penny pinch and this and that. And I'm like looking at them like, we haven't made the playoffs in three or four years. And now you want to, you know. Save money. You might have to overpay a little bit, like to bring the same squad back. And we're kind of going up in the right direction. So I became frustrated and I said, at the start of that season, about 10 games in, I went to my agent and I said, look, can you just ask them, for, ask them, I want out, man. Like respectfully, I've done as well as I can here. They've, they've, they need to move on as well. Um, let's get on with things. And um, the GM came up to me about a day later after the call and was like, look, we're not moving you. Like, we can't, we're not going to get fair value back. You're a top three, top four center in the NBA. What, you know, you don't get good value back for bigs. So, you know, it is what it is. And I'm just like, fuck, let's not call my agent. I'm like, you need to get this shit done. Like, you know, we're going nowhere here. Like, this is just, at best, we're a seven, eight seed anyway. So then you fast forward to the GM's contract year and there was our head coach's contract year or extension year. We play in Houston. Kyle Lowry shoots a float off for some reason. I, I go up to block it. He shoots it and then tries to chase it down and get the rebound and undercuts me, puts his foot right under me. I turn my ankle, snap my ankle, break it, right? So I didn't know I broke it at the time. So I'm like moving it around. I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel good. I get up, try to run it off, <laughs> limp off the court, and then get back to the locker room, take my shoe off, and it's like a balloon, right? So my agent, you know, after all injury, oh, it sucks, it's that. And they're like... They traded me, so because of that, because I was because I was hurt and couldn't help him, they were like, "Shit, we, we cut sorry, didn't let, they? Let's look at trading him now." Um, they brought Monte Ellis in, which was great for them. It gave them a boost. They made the eight seed that year. It didn't save the GM's job, but if I didn't break my ankle, I don't believe I would have been traded to Golden State. So it's kind of a sliding doors moment. Yeah, it is. A, it is a big moment, yeah. really, because um, it's couldn't have went to a better club. <laughs> And then when a you get the time. yeah, at the time though, because they're building, they sucked, didn't they? Yeah. So they what happened time. between 2012 and 2015 for everyone that can't remember? Well, they got 
They've been to one playoff series in the last 20 years. Um, there was a We Believe Year when they beat Dirk as an eight seed. They beat Dirk's number one seed, Mavs. That was, and they celebrated that thing like it was a championship. Yeah. Um, but they went, yeah, so I guess 2012, it was just a revolving door of franchise. No one wanted to sign there. They couldn't get me as free agents and then just drafted right. Moving Monte, for me, not only brought a big in for them, but it freed up Steph to do what he does because Steph was kind of the two to Monte and Monte's a shoot first guard. So it gave him just some time to to really show his talents. And then, like I said, drafted right, uh, made a coaching change with Steve Kerr halfway through that and the dynasty was built. Like they just, they signed good people. Um, Andre Guadala, you know, um, myself, you know, um, just, just guys that Draymond Green drafted, like the list goes on and they just, it's kind of a no no dickhead policy for the most part in that in that squad with the talent that they had, and it also helps when you got Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who are non traditional superstars in my opinion. They're just so nonchalant about all that all that stuff that they allow allowing KD in that fold. Um, most max NBA players wouldn't do that. Yeah, because Steph's team, he was on the billboard. He let KD in that fold. All of a sudden, KD was a man. You know, most most players wouldn't do that. I mean, no egos, kind of thing. No. Just it's going to help us win another chip. Welcome board, um, do it. It sounds like a great culture, like you said. No dickheads policy. Is that the best way to kind of sum it up? Essentially, yeah, yeah, essentially, and and just good people, and they they get good high basketball IQ guys that can complement talent they already have, rather than bringing in just more talent or bringing this guy because he's a name. No, nah, we don't want that guy. We're going to bring in some complementary pieces around Stephen Clay, Draymond. Greg Wadala and, you know, they brought in David West, Zaza Pachulia, different guys along different periods that complement what they've got and it just works out well. What's uh, a question I got later on? What's, what's Draymond Green like? Do we see – I mean, I've got so many questions about them boys you just <laughs> named. I know you're close to them. So Draymond Green, when he come in, because you would have seen his development, was he always this fiery, um, outspoken type of dude with – like, I love his energy. He sets the tone. Has he always been like that or has he kind of developed into that? Pretty much. Uh, rookie year. He showed flashes of it because he was a rookie, he wasn't playing much. He kind of had to toe the line a little bit, but you could see something was always bubbling in him. But he's, he's, a, he's a passionate guy. I mean, whether you're playing poker with him or basketball, he's going to give give it all. He's going to talk shit. He's going to get in your face. And <laughs> that's just how he is. You, you love him for it. And um, he's you can't take too much of what he says personal because then he's won. That's his whole his whole game. He's trying to like get in your head and have you thinking like, I, I, got, I got to him. I shut him down mentally, right? Um and he does a great job with that. But, yeah, and just, you know, what he does for that squad, he's the intangible piece for them. He's the motor for them. Um, you know, Clay and Steph get the shine because they make all the shots and, and shoot the ball at a high clip, but they know how valuable he is to that squad. Yeah, he is, and he's a great – I watch I watch closely um, the way he sets them up. He's just looking for them. He's a, he's just so good at like, assisting his players from, mm-hmm. from the outside looking in. Um, what, else is the, what else is there about Draymond that we might not know about him? Is there anything off-court – is there anything that he does that people would find interesting? Nothing really. No dirty secrets or anything. I mean, he, he's very similar to, you know, like we have to deal with. What you see is what you get. Yeah, sometimes you're like, Draymond, just, you know, <laughs> chill out, calm down. But that's, he's passionate. Like in practice, he'll be talking shit to God, own teammates. Yeah. You know, like, um, but that's just how he is. He's, he's going to give you 100%. And, and he was a guy that was, you know, drafted in the second round. Um, he'll even tell you, he said it numerous times, like, Mark Jackson was trying to play him at the three spot at times, and he was like, "If I continue to play the three spot, I'd be in Europe." You know, yeah. Um, and then Steve Kerr came in and figured this guy's he plays bigger than his size, 
played him more at the four and at the five at times. And, you know, he had a sliding door moment at that point. But, um, yeah, he just he's a high basketball IQ guy and knows how to play the game and just has a strange body. Like, he's not overly tall, but he's got really long arms. Anticipation's next level, elite level, um, and just, just knows how to play. Yeah, he's great on D. What about the other two boys, the, 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 <laughs> the Splash Brothers? Like, what are they like? They're quite interesting dudes to watch, but – What's it like to play with them, and um, and what are they like off the off the court? Yeah, both great guys. So I, I played uh, on the plane. It was um, I've told this before, but myself, Steph, Draymond, and Clay were all poker players on on, the, on every flight. Um, David Lee as well, and then he left the following year. But it was always us. We were a core group of playing poker every flight, no matter what. We we're playing poker, and sometimes I know them a, a whole lot. But um, yeah, Steph's for the most part early on he was soft spoken, didn't really say a lot, but he's got a great personality, great sense of humor, loves to banter a little bit. Um, Real family man, like a genuine family man. Like there's people in the NBA that say they're family, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> He's one of the few that's like this guy is legitimately a family man. Like kids, wife, that's that's all he cares about, right? Away from the court. Um, and Clay, I love Clay just because he's himself. He just like he doesn't realize he's an NBA superstar. Like he, the dude just he's in his own world, humming along. You know, he's one of those guys that will see a bird flying and be like, let me follow that bird. You know what I mean? like, he's, just, <laughs> yeah. he's just himself. He just doesn't care about your perceptions or thoughts of him and um, really awesome dude, you know, and just, yeah, he's, he's, he's great, great value as well. And, and, and sneakily funny as well when he actually says some things, but yeah. um, he's, he's, they're both just, you know, their culture starts and finishes with them and Draymond obviously, but those two guys being your superstars, you can't lose. Cause like they're good people. They're smart. They're bright. They play hard. They don't take themselves too seriously um, as some NBA superstars do. And they're not going to cause problems. And if you have two superstars like that, like you got a good chance of being competitive every year. Yeah, you can see like a Jordan Paul just blossoming, you know, yeah. underneath them. And, and then he has no excuse to be a dickhead, you know. Like it's like it's the next man up mentality of like you see your two superstars not being shitheads, you can't then warrant being a shithead because they'll mm. just be like, see you later, mate. Yeah, and, and they've had that history. You can see over the last five six years. Look at the guys that they've had for a year or two, and they're like, nah, <laughs> out of here, right? So um, they do a fantastic job. Oh yeah, they're in great shape. Just on the poker, who's the king of that four? Who, who wins <laughs> you, the most? You, you never leak what happens on a poker table, man. <laughs> what happens there stays some there. Some days I win, some days I win. It was, I, a, it was a good game. I can imagine Draymond getting in your face when oh, you play yeah, poker. Man. Yeah, yeah, he definitely gets fired up. That's fucking funny. Um, right, well, this is the, the Craigie Moller. I, I reached out to the great man. Uh, I said, give me some dirt. And he said he loves his poker, but he also loves a card game called Drops. So his drops, is it called drops? Up? Yeah, drops. Not is that, bad. Is that yeah, the term? Bad. He reckons that you were just the king in the Rio Olympics, just clean the boomers boys out. Is that, is Listen that, to that Moller. Yeah, he reckons that's, is that true or false? I want to say I cleaned him out. Uh, drops is not really a, a game of skill. So it's, it's, it's oh, right. It, it's some, it's, it's more, basically you get, say we all get one card each, a high card wins, right? And we all hold our hands up and say, one, two, three, drop. If you've got a shitty hand, you drop it. If you've got a good hand, you hold it. Everyone has put in a dollar each at the start. So 10 players are $10 in the pot. If you hold and you say you win, all right, one guy wins, you you scoop the pot. Whoever else held and didn't win has to match the pot. <laughs> so it gets up pretty quickly, right? But um, I didn't. I don't enjoy that game at all. I like I like skill. I like the mental warfare of poker, but um, I don't think I won. I don't think I won in Rio. I could be wrong, but uh, I know I know a few of the boys like playing it, but I was kind of like – I just. That that, head, that could get pretty big, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've played a similar game, <laughs> similar game on an NBA plane. It's called uh, In Between. So it's basically just a generic gambling shit. Everyone puts in 
I think we'll put it in 20 bucks each. There was only four of us, right? So it was 80 bucks. And I deal one card face up, say it's a two, and another card face up and say it's a king. It goes to this guy first next to me, and if he can see, he can bet any amount out of the pot. So there's $80 in. He can bet 80 He can bet 20 He can say pot, whole pot, that the next card is going to be between those two cards, right? So if it's king and a two, you've got a high chance it's going to be, right? So if you say, all right, pot, I bet the pot, five, you scoop the pot. If it hits a side, so if it's two or king, you lose, or anything on the other sides of it, right? So then if you call pot or bet, whatever you pot or bet and you don't win, you've got to match a pot. We had a pot. It was, it was, it was the most <laughs> outrageous shit I've ever seen. It was like, this is $20 each, so it's $80. So, okay, it might get to, might have to, two people might have to match it. It gets to $160, maybe it gets to 1000 we had a pot get to $240,000. Oh. And we, we even called it. We are like, nah, man, this is going to hurt somebody. So we took a zero off because it was, it was it was so ridiculous. Like guys were getting like, you know, the best hand to get is, is, is two, two, two or a king or two or an ace. You call the ace high or low, right? Um, you call the ace high and you get a two. People go, yeah, no shit, pot. And the ace would hit. Oh. And they're like, you got a match. And it was just random, random stuff. Like odds were just go on this flight and it was like, it got to $240,000 and we're like, I just take a zero off it and keep it at 24. 24 still for money. But 240 was like, oh my goodness. Like, guys were like, like you know, they were, they, were good yeah. odds. They, were, they were like five and queen, which is still pretty good odds that you're going to hit. Because the only only cards that mess you up are what, a two, three, four, and an ace, yeah. and, a, and a king on the oh, other end. Nice. The guys would pass on it because they're just like too scared. Too scared. You know? yeah, yeah, they'd start shaking. Like, so, yeah, anyway. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know where Craigie Muller got that from. He's, yeah. he's got some bad sauces. <laughs> Craigie is a bad sauce. <laughs> Shave your beard, Craigie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good man, Craigie boy. It's a quick few questions. Uh, I've got a few. I'm going to bang them out um, from the Aces community. We love this. Uh, so, I'll read their names out as well. Uh, the Bridge 24. Which player did you get most starstruck both playing with and against in the NBA? Not so much playing with, but I met Michael Jordan my f- first my rookie year just at a party and that was probably the guy because he was it's michael jordan man like i grew up in the 90s that's 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 a, that's god of basketball yeah right? so uh michael jordan probably the one best player you've versed and best player you've teamed up with best player i've played against that's from the notorious underscore rob thank you for the message that's hard it's so i know that's so hard, hard. Isn't it? i mean best player i've played with i mean katie and steph would be the best the two best like Different, different beasts, but Steph, as far as um, just his ability to shoot the ball off the dribble, KD is like get your bucket anywhere on the floor. Played against, I mean, probably LeBron. I mean, just from an athletic point of view, the guys, guys just born to play basketball. Um, if you build a player on NBA 2K, it'd look like him. Oh, and it's just yeah, just oh, amazing. Giannis is getting there, isn't he? Oh, Giannis is getting there, but LeBron's LeBron can shoot a bit. Yeah, like yeah. six eight point guard. Like it's just. Yeah, Giannis will be up there as well, but um, no. Nah, but overall, I think LeBron will be will be up there. I mean, Giannis in two K, we call it the cheat code, man. You can't get, you can't. Yeah. Someone's got the box, you just can't win. Yeah, he's, he's tough. Uh, Clayton Jolly Ten, what was so special about playing with the Splash Brothers? I oh, just what they did on a daily basis. I think even just their warm up routine was insane, um, and just the way they shot the ball. You know, um, they consistently would shoot a hundred threes after practice, ten spots, and you know mid to high 90s <laughs> it's just like insane you know and, and and just seeing a guy like clay get hot like game six in okc to salvage a game to get a game seven at home that we ended up winning um just amazing when they get hot yeah it is they're, they're freaks and they can keep missing and then you just know once they get yeah. going you're like get one, get one down yeah exactly. james Sheridan, my cousin who's the best boomers player you've um you've played with in your opinion best boomers player 
Um, who was the best Blues player? I mean, we had a Patty and Joey probably. Um, probably those two. You know, Patty came on. Patty's kind of peaked more towards I was phasing out. Um, so probably probably one of those two, I think. Yeah. Righto, this is my Tommy's 10. This is where I just go bang and you, uh, you ant. This should be pretty quick. So uh, before we round out the show, we've got a few more things. But all right. Okay, you ready? Yep. Who is the best NBA slash NBL poker player you've ever played against? Best NBA slash NBL. Ooh. I haven't played a lot of NBA players, to be honest with you. So I'd have to say someone on the Warriors and we'll give it to Draymond. Oh, actually, David Lee. David Lee. Lee. There you go. David Lee's the king. Describe Craig Muller in one word. Rasta man. (laughs) Coolest person you've met in your lifetime? Probably Elon Musk. That's big. Funniest teammate in your time and why? Oh, as a boatload. Probably Leandro Barbosa would come to mind. Um, Brazilian, always smiling, just great fun to be around, always talking shit. Funny one-liners, and he's got an accent as well, which tops it all off. You love that in the locker room. Yep. Biggest prankster in the NBA? Guy named Orvi Story played uh, with me in Milwaukee one year. He was uh, pretty notorious for. You knew if it was one of those guys that you got into it with, you're in he, trouble. Oh, he'd go over the top eventually. What was the yeah. worst thing you reckon he did? Or well, best thing, really? We love this. Oh, I think he, he's putting guys' shoes in freezers, like <laughs> just, just all kinds of strange stuff like that. Um, yeah, but he was he was he was definitely up there. I love that. We had a bloke, I think it wasn't me, before my time, but someone did the same thing and they decided to park his car in a car park like a few miles I've done away. that before. I've done uh, – we had – Vestas Azili was a – you know, rookie duties are rookie duties. You never talk back to the veterans and Vestas Azili snapped at, sw- sniped at me one time. He thought I'd left the room and said, oh, fuck off, like just, you know, <laughs> his breath. And I was like, what would you say, mate? And um, so I got, I got a guy, he had a Mercedes S-Class, and I, I got a, a friend of mine, mechanic, to come while we're in practice and lift these uh, car on bricks. <laughs> took, all the, took all the tires off and put them in the locker room on top of each other. And he's come out and he's like, that's my tires, right? Like, nah, because Harrison Barnes are the same car. Nah, it's Harrison's. We're just messing with him. And then he walked outside and his car was on bricks. <laughs> he, had to, he had to call uh, Mercedes Assist, pushes the Mercedes Assist, and they're like, oh, can we help you, sir? He's like, oh, yeah, I've got an issue with my tires. Oh, you got a flat tire, sir? He's like, no, no, no. My tires, someone's taking the tires off my car. Oh, someone stole your tires. No, 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 but I have the tire. Like, he's trying to explain this to them. They thought it was a prank call. <laughs> yeah. I would have sent someone. They're like, yeah. stop it, stop it, stop it. And then eventually they sent someone out. Um, that was a good one. That's brilliant. I've never heard anything like that. That is so good. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've seen in your journey, even if it's on the streets or with the fans or anyone? I mean, I've been, on, I've almost been in a couple of plane crashes. Um, really? What, just the ter- just crazy weather? No, we had an engine blow uh, when I was in Milwaukee my rookie year, I think it was, an engine blow mid-air, mid-flight. Fuck off. Over, um, over Lake Michigan of all places and had to emergency land. And then another time we were leaving Newark Airport and they didn't de-ice the plane properly and one of the engines caught on fire. And we didn't even know because I guess the pilot felt, you know, his tools weren't operating like they should, radio the tower, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, mate, we saw your uh, – Saw your engine on fire as you're taking saw some sparks coming out of your engine. He's like, How about your radio? It's like, so we had to then emergency land back where we just took off from. That is wild. Yeah, it's giving me some PTSD flying now. I tell you, when, when turbulence ramps up, I'll tie that fucking seatbelt on so yeah. tight because I'm just like, I never had an issue flying until I almost went down. And now you're just like, Oh, God. Especially like, early days with all the flying yeah. that you do. Well, Tony Kukoc was on my team, veteran um, Croatian legend, and he used to sit window seat in front of me and he would stare out the window the whole time. 
and everybody used to make fun of him, like, these guys scared of flying and like I'm, I'm like pretty much that guy now so yeah. it's just like, like I get it Tony like you know <laughs> fuck man that's scary biggest uh, biggest pot you've won in poker I think it'd be in the six digits oh we love that and the greatest city in the states and why because you would have travelled to all the of them the greatest city oh, yeah the US is really dependent on what you want right mm. so um, everyone's moving to Austin so that's probably too popular now but that was cool back in the day um, it depends what you want. I, I, I like I like the East Bay of California, uh, San Francisco, not San Francisco. I like the East Bay out on the on the other side of the Oakland Hills. Um, that's a very nice place to live. Walnut Creek, those kind of areas. So I, we really enjoyed our time there. I didn't mind Dallas. A lot of concrete, but I didn't mind Dallas. I thought that was pretty cool. I haven't been to Dallas, but yeah, looking Dallas was right. Yeah, just very man made, very very, very concretey. Yeah. But but nice people, good restaurants. Good place to navigate. Do you love your NFL, by the way? Not really. Not really. Never got into NFL. Nah. Nah. nah I went to a few Packers games and Giants games, but I just never. Sorry, 49ers games. I'm um, never really. Uh, just never really got into it. It's just yeah. too slow for me. Too slow. Yeah. Like, I watch Super Bowl, um, but I went to a few live games, and I'm like, ask my mates like, why is it stopping? Oh, it's commercial. It's down. I'm like, we're at the game, man. I'm yeah. Just boring <laughs> out. What am I supposed to do right now? So, uh, I get it. I get the. I like the chess match within within a game, but I can't. I can't watch every game. Yeah, no, nah, some people love it, some don't. No, I just asked you because Dallas, I want to go there just to watch the the Cowboys. The NF- the Cowboys yeah. The stadium yep. looks crazy. Um, while we're on the NBA finals, let's talk about it. Davil, we've got the beat Bogut challenge, man. You've been going back and forth. Um, and Killing da- me, are you? I'm going okay, but th- the way I describe myself is I'm a, I'm a hit or miss. Yeah. I'm going for the big wins, you know? Yeah, yeah. I go for more than moderate. Yeah, you're the, you got the smart bets. Yeah, yesterday. Did you hit yesterday? No, by a point. Celtic, you tip Celtics. Uh, Celtics. Under four, three and a half, um, uh, minus three and a half. I had Tatum three threes. I had Adebayo 10 rebounds, and I had Jalen Brown 25 plus. Oh, he had 24. He had 23 and had two free throws and bricked the second one. With eight minutes left in the fourth, I thought I, thought I was good. Eight minutes left in the fourth, bricks the free. Oh, he's still got eight minutes. He's going to get, like, they'll have to foul in. Nah, one point. It was, it was nine bucks too. So I, was, I know. I saw. I'm like, hey, oh, Bogey's like, uh, snuck it up starting, there. Yeah, I'm starting to feel bad for like p- people copying my bets. I'm like, give him, give him some love. Like, we need a win. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've had, I think I've had one or two this whole playoffs that, that hit, which is kind of crazy. Do you find it hard to bet on it, even though you know so much about it? Or? It's just hard. Like, I, like I've said this before. I mean, kudos to sports betters, professional sports betters. It's hard. It's hard. People think it's easy. It's hard to pick to, to consistently be a winner. Um, you got to do a lot of research and reading, and it's amazing how these, you know, the, the sports betters get it within, like even, even oh, the, the lines are ridiculous, even the over under, nice. <laughs> like, like, t- like two twenty, and it'll be like two nineteen. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I know it's like, like right it's on, perfect. it's genius. Um, but yeah, it's it's been fun. It's just you know you, you don't you don't want to do it to, to obviously hurt someone. You know, nice. you don't want to bet where you're hurting someone financially, but to have to have a punt with some money that you don't need is, is great fun, I think. And that's what uh, that's what I love about Dabble. Like the, the best thing about Dabble is obviously the banter element, but the fact that people can just copy your bets. It's yep. like a it's a real cool little platform. I love it, yeah. And I've jumped on the banner channels a few times and people don't think it's me. They're like, Is it really you? Is this your PR people? I'm like, No, it's me, man. Just just talking shit with people and yeah, it's good fun. Especially when you win, everyone copies your bet. Yeah, you can comment. Oh, thanks, legend. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. when you lose, you're like, You dickhead, yeah, yeah, hide that line. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for anyone out there that uh, wants to follow um, both of us Andrew Bogut is your name and mine's Tommy's tips on Dabble so so get on there um, here comes the uh, the sponsors mate you know this, uh, this this podcast wouldn't be going without the sponsors I've got two hats here one from Caps the home of headwear 
Um, there's their, their their cap there, and then there's the Boston, mate. Do you want the Boston one? <laughs> yeah, I thought you. <laughs> Obviously, with Boston and What's this uh, one? that's caps. That's their actual uh, logo. Okay. So that's theirs. Cool. Um, but we've got a segment. It's called the the uh, the caps moment. It's the greatest moment in your NBA career. If you were to put it down to one moment, the caps moment. What would it be? It caps it off. That's clever. Mm. <laughs> it caps it. Then we should change it. Um, championship, yeah, has to be the championship. Like individual accolades, great, cool. You know, number one pick, only be a third team, all that kind of stuff. Lead the league in blocks one year, great. But when you're in a championship, you realize how hard it is and how many teams get a, a real opportunity to even be in the finals. It's 15 guys a year, and generally, it's one or two teams from each decade is repeating. Or so over a decade, you've probably got five. Five teams, six teams that have a chance to win a championship and um, to be part of that select group, especially with the journey of the Golden State Warriors from where they were to, to where they are now, was um, something I'm real proud of. It's mate, congratulations because it, it's it's the pinnacle. It's the it's the biggest yeah. thing since life bred that. Like, where's the ring? Where do you put it? I did say it's too big. The things, the things like the things, massive man. Like, it weighs your hand down wearing it. So I don't I don't take that thing out very often to show many people um, as far as wearing it, but like. Family, friends come over, you'll show them. And so it's a genuine get it out the safe, show people, put it back in. Essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I think once I set up a podcast studio, which I'm working on, it might come out there in the background somewhere and yeah, um, have a few trophies and stuff. So I'm still working on that. But um, yeah, it's something you definitely you definitely can't wear. Like it's, it's you just don't need to wearing it because it's just full of diamonds. And so oh, it's, mate. It's a, it's a big piece. Antonio Brown wears it. He wears his Does NFL he? one court yeah, side when he watches it. <laughs> oh, mate. For the reunion, I'll wear it. That's probably it. Yeah. yeah. With the um, – when you win it, like – with NBA finals, is obviously on at the moment. We'll talk about who your tip is, but like, how much? Like, what separates your, you know, the, the games that go into the actual playoffs, but the actual finals? Is it go another level of intensity, yeah. or is it? It does, and it just because yeah, it's just added pressure. Things change, so you can't in the NBA finals. You generally can't work out at your practice facility. You have to move all your training sessions to the arena to accommodate media. So things like that, small little things change. Um, San Francisco don't have that problem anymore because I think their facilities in their arena, but they have to do their all their all their stuff in the arena with the seating, so they don't go to the actual practice course. So just small things like that change your routine, and and you know pro athletes are so routine based, mm. and th- small things like that change. Cross country flights now because it's usually an it's East gonna- Coast time and a West Coast, and this Boston Golden State is the longest flight route in the NBA, I believe, um, or LA Boston, but yeah, it's pretty much the same. So that kind of stuff six-hour flights, you know, so that's what ramps it up. And then you're the only show in town NBA-wise. So All eyes on you. There's not, no one else to talk about besides those two teams. So it just gets overanalyzed to a T and, and you got to switch that off when you're, when you're in the finals. What was the coolest thing that you did in the finals from memory that just had all the all the media outlets going wild? Uh, game-wise, I had, I had one game where I had four or five block shots and – Got a lot of pub for that. Um, blocked LeBron a few times at the rim. So that must be. Um, How's that yeah, feel? <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a whole different. You got you got journalists from all around the world. You know, some of them non-speaking English. Some of them, you know what I mean. So you just got it's just it, it is basketball, world basketball for that for that three weeks. Yeah, mate. It's um. Oh, we, we'll do another podcast just purely on yeah. that because I know you got to get going. Now, mate, we've got the uh, we've got the Rixies. I've got a sunglass brand. We've got a segment Another sponsor, jeez, mate. We've got to make sure you're looking good on the Gold Coast. I don't know if you want black or crystal. What do you want? I think you'd be more black. So I've got two options here. But Rix and retirement, right? Once the you're already up on the Goldie, but once the kids have grown up, what location uh, would you love to retire uh, and why? 
Oh man, it was meant to be Melbourne, um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot, a lot has changed down there. Um, I've, I've always loved Queensland, um, so it's always been a special place. We're kind of Gold Coast based at the minute. Whether we'll be here long term, who knows? Um, I do like Croatia, um, but you know, with kids and stuff, everything changes. So I love spending time over in Croatia and in Europe in, in the summer. I've got some family over there, so I will eventually get get back over there and find a place over there. Um, for, for kind of a weekender, but uh, right now I think Queensland's where it's at. There you go, running Queensland, get around the great man, the king of Corumban. Um, <laughs> and the last one, Aces Referral Program. It's something that we uh, we always ask our guests, but if there was someone that, now that you've sat down and it's pretty relaxed, I would have thought, but if there's someone that you could assist, even though we love the blocks, assist uh, a guest in joining us that would be quite substantial, our listeners would love, who do you have full confidence in maybe securing for the for the boys here? Oh, gee, that's a lot of pressure, man. A lot of pressure. Lot of we, pressure. we know you can handle it, mate. You can handle the. Yeah. Um, here's what you want. I mean, you probably, I mean, Delhi would definitely have some stories for you. He would be great, actually. I've heard Matty DeBoer. Talk about those, those uh, eyes wide shut parties LeBron has. Oh, wow. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I'm gonna open the can of worms up right there. Delhi, if you're listening, we're going to hit you up, mate. But um, yeah, that'd be great, actually. He's quite a smart man. Oh, he, he is. He's a big, big, big Bitcoiner. So he'll probably talk about Bitcoin for. The 59 minutes of your 60 minute pod. Uh, <laughs> well, mate, well, hopefully the it gets going. Are you doing much um, outside? Bit, yeah, got a little bit in that. Yeah. You love the crypto? Yeah, oh, I don't, I'm not all in like Delhi, um, but I'm, I'm, I've got some, I like to do, you know, diversify as much as I can. So I'm definitely in a, a bit of, a bit of uh, crypto. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, if anyone else out there loves the great man's work, would you do rogues, uh, bogues, rogues, bogues? What's the name again? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone messes this up. I know. Uh, rogue bogues. Rogue bogues. There you go. Yeah, Make rogue sure. bogues. Um, we're on all socials at Rogue Bogues on all uh, podcast platforms and give us a listen. Yeah, it's the best podcast in Australia, especially for for NBA. You don't get it. You get it from the great man's uh, mouth every what, two two a week. You you put a one a week out. for basketball. Yeah, weekly and show as uh, it, it releases Monday mornings for, for everyone's commute straight to work. Yeah, they need that. Yeah. They need that. Well, mate, honestly, thanks so much for your time. I know you've got kids and family commitments and. Uh, I'm up here short notice, but thanks so much. Wishing you all the best. And um, yeah, the final series, who's your tip? Obviously the Warriors, I would have thought. Yeah, Warriors 4-2, I'm going. 4-2 so, in yeah. six? Yep, in six, yeah. So make sure you check the big fella out on Davil. And uh, the Warriors in six is uh, come straight up. But yeah, mate, thank you so much for your time. and looking forward to uh, staying in touch and we'll do it all again soon because I could talk to you for about a week. <laughs> I want to <laughs> learn how to play poker. That's it, next time. <laughs> thanks, mate. Appreciate right, it. Mate. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please feel free to hit us up on our social channels at Osmerican Aces. If you're entertained, inspired, or feel more educated, please share it with your friends and family because we appreciate the support. Righto, catch you on the next one.